0: Uh, Tuesday the 18th of July, it's the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford, how are you? It's not a great afternoon here, pretty dull, pretty grey, pretty rainy in fact. But anyway, at least we've um, we've got the programme to look forward to, don't we? I've got three, not two, not one, but three very interesting people for you to chat with this afternoon. Thanks again, as always, for finding me.
1: It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford.
2: It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple
0: platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. And a little bit later on in the programme, forgive me, forgive me, let me just do something there. A little bit later on in the programme, hour two Sarah Habubi returns to the show. I can't wait to chat with her again. She's been running the Think Local conferences, which um, are very interesting indeed. There's one happening in a couple of days' time. She's an international speaker. She is an NLP Master Practitioner and um, she's back in hour two. Before that, though, I uh, can't wait to welcome back to the programme Aidan Killian. Now, it's been some time since Aidan was on the programme. He is a comedian and a promoter. He'll be joined on the show by the poet and the writer uh, Stephen Murphy. Now, they've got a film out at the moment, and uh, it's pretty new. It was released late last month. It's called 32 Mountains. Back in November 2021, a bleak time in Ireland, three artists said, you know what we'll do? We'll travel to the highest peak in each of Ireland's 32 counties, and we will plant a flag there. The film of that journey was released only a few weeks ago. Why did they do it? Stephen Murphy and Aidan Killian will join this programme in around about 25 minutes' time or thereabouts. I'm looking forward to that. And, as usual, if you'd like to join in, please join in via the website richieallen.co.uk, or you can leave a message via the app. There is an app these days for The Richie Allen Show. You can get it on Google. You can get it on the Apple App Store. Get your app, get your app roll up. And please do, if you don't mind, leave a review for the app if you do happen to download it and if you happen to use it. Now, one of the wonderful things about the app is that you can send a message to me directly and it only takes a microsecond or a millisecond, that's all it takes yeah, that's all it takes yeah, there's a sound issue here it's a minor one, I think I can solve it so bear with me a moment while I solve it and we will just crack on from there yeah, funnily enough you're not my problem, not my doing just an issue on the desk you don't want to know about that you're not interested in such things so you do know, don't you that the UK has got a COVID inquiry that is underway at the moment, the COVID inquiry. Uh, There are those who have labelled it a whitewash and who have suggested, predicted even, hypothesised even, that it'll be one big, long whitewash. And in the end of it, they will recommend, or not recommend, but they will find that if only lockdowns happen sooner rather than later, then maybe, 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 maybe so many people needn't have died. Right, so whitewash is what people are saying. I tend to agree with that. Let me read you from the BBC website. This is important. I caught this and I thought of you. Matthew Fowler lost his father to COVID in April 2020. We're not laughing at Matthew at all. Losing a relative at any time and for any reason is a terrible thing. We've all experienced it, right? So in April 2020, his father Ian died of COVID. And he told the COVID inquiry that he has received abuse online after speaking about the virus. I tell you what, I won't read the article word for word. I'll paraphrase it, but my source is the BBC. Now, this guy, Matthew Fowler, he co-founded the COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice group. And that group is campaigning to learn lessons from the pandemic, right? Okay. now Fowler... As told the BBC, Matthew, that is, how people from his organisation, the COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice, have been stalked across social media and some have been threatened, presumably by people who do not believe that these people or all of these people succumbed to COVID, maybe because of how COVID deaths were certified. You know, they certified a COVID death as anyone who died within 28 days of testing positive. So I am sure that people have been trolling people on the internet, trolling people whose loved ones died and they were told that they had died from COVID. That's not a nice thing, but it's going on. You know, you can have your opinion. You can have your say without trolling people and threatening people. If that has been going on, it's pretty ridiculous, right? Okay, so Tuesday, today, um, is the final day of witnesses giving evidence to the first part of the inquiry. The first part focused on resilience and preparedness, okay? This COVID inquiry will go on and on and on like our wrist on and on and on. You've got to be over 45 to get that pretty lame gag, right? It's going to go on forever. Now it, the inquiry that is, has been hearing from groups representing uh, the bereaved families across the four nations of the UK. Now, Matthew's father, Ian, first developed symptoms of COVID in late March 2020. He was taken into hospital where he tested positive and then was intubated. (laughs) Yeah, he was intubated. And I'm very interested. And and I can be as interested as I bloody well like. It doesn't matter. I'm never going to be satisfied. And neither are you. Satisfied. Intubated. Did the gentleman, upon being intubated, receive a cocktail of morphine and midazolam? Did he? Would Mr Fowler's family... Matthew, his son, would they be aware of that? Would they be asking any such questions? We know from emergency room doctors at the very beginning of the scam, as it is, as it was in 2020, that whatever COVID was, Okay, it left people with almost altitude type sickness symptoms. I had experience of this in January 2020. I won't dwell on it because I've shared this story with you one too many times. But I was gravely ill in January 2020. It was touch and go. It really was. Okay, and we couldn't understand why I was taking great big gasping breaths, but nothing was getting into my lungs, nothing. Now, this isn't, wasn't asthma, it wasn't a chest infection, there were no blockages, there was no inflammation, none of that. So, um, we learned that intubation was the wrong thing to do for those symptoms. And that intubation may very well have led to the deaths of some patients. So I wonder, the intubation, the morphine, the midazolam, you know, are, are any of these families asking these questions? Mr Fowler's father died on April 13th. Um, he explained, and this is very sad, how restrictions meant that his dad was cremated in his hospital gown. He said, did did Matthew Fowler, the son, it isn't dignified for someone making their final journey. Of course it isn't. It's terrible. It's dreadful. And again, you know, for me, my, my approach to this is, I don't assume that everybody knows everything. There were... I I, I might still know nothing, but there there were times when I was far less informed than I am now. These people trusted their government. They still want to trust their government. They want to believe in the inquiry, and um, it's a dreadful time for them. But absent in all of this is any real examination of what went on in February, March, April, May, June, July 2020, and beyond. What were they doing intubating people? What medicines were given to people. Why were people given do not resuscitate notices against their will, or at least without getting their consent or, or, or the consent of their relatives? It's dreadful. He went on to say this guy that the abuse, he repeated that the abuse has been absolutely horrendous. Let's talk about immigration or migration for a few minutes. Why not? Let's talk about it. Let's hear Joe Coburn BBC Politics Live this afternoon. Here she is on migration.
3: Let's uh, talk about this issue, Financial Times headline. UK illegal migration bill, as we said in the headlines, passes after government defeats Lords challenges. Uh, This means that ping pong, as we call it in parliamentary speak, it's over. Uh, That's the bill going backwards and forwards between the two chambers, between the Lords and the Commons. And that's because the government won a series of votes in the Lords very late last night, perhaps somewhat surprisingly. And so the bill will will now become law. I say somewhat surprisingly because the Lords had passed uh, numerous amendments in the last round. It's passed. It's going to get onto the statute, but probably this week. What practical difference will it make? She
0: was asking the Tory MP Matt Warman. What practical difference will it make, Matt?
4: So I think it's a key part of a package that is all about making practical differences. So some of this is about straightforward deterrent. It's about saying Uh, to people that if you arrive by illegal means, uh, then that is not a way of guaranteeing uh, a life in Britain. Mm. But it's also a key part of saying we are going to, and we already are, processing applications much more rapidly. We're going to provide people with accommodation that is decent but is not the kind of relative luxury that we're seeing in some hotels. So this is a necessary part uh, of of a package that will I think make a huge difference and addresses a
3: really key concern up and down the country. Yeah, but on the practical What material difference will we see on Friday, let's say? um, Because the bill says there will be a duty on the Home Secretary to remove anyone who enters the UK in breach of immigration control. Where will those people be removed to? Yeah,
0: good question. Where will they be removed to?
4: So that's about fundamentally saying this is either returning people to their own uh, country. We've got people coming from places like Egypt, places like Turkey, which market themselves as holiday destinations, Albania long in the news. It's about returning people to safe countries or uh, to uh, get the Rwanda scheme off the ground as quickly as possible. Now, I'm not saying that planes will be taking off on Friday, but I think that is a very important part of a package that is a key way of deterring people from making an illegal and dangerous journey.
0: um, Yes, it's a deterrent, he says. It's a deterrent says the um, says the Tory MP Matt Warman. Okay, now earlier in the day, Good Morning Britain. Susanna Reid, as the presenter, asked another Tory, um, the nuclear minister Andrew Bowie, about the barge. Here's what he had to say: the barge, the barge. What barge do you mean, Baldy? Well, a barge has arrived in the south coast port of Portland in Dorset, right? And it's called the Bibby Stockholm. And it left left Falmouth Harbour in Cornwall. Yesterday it was tugged along England's south coast. It will be a temporary home for up to 500 single adult male asylum seekers under these Home Office plans to ease the pressure on the asylum system. But there are protests and there have been protests. So Susanna Reid wanted to ask this guy Andrew Bowie or Bowie, the uh, nuclear minister. What about the uh, locals and the pressure this will put on local services even?
5: keep saying that you understand the concerns of local people. What are the extra facilities that you've put in for local people and for the asylum seekers? Because these are human beings. I mean, we're in danger of dehumanising, in the language, 500 people who have fled persecution are not able to work. We're not allowed to deal with them um, as... Uh, economic migrants, because that's a a bad thing, apparently, even though we might need their labour. So what are you going to do to increase, for instance, the NHS facilities? We've got record waiting lists at the moment. I'm sure that there are a number of people in Portland who find it very hard to get to see their GP within four weeks of calling to see them. Are you increasing those facilities for people? Because you keep saying you understand how people feel. I'm not sure you're doing anything for them. Firstly, you're absolutely right, Susanna, but I should be very clear that these people reaching British shores have have come all the way through Europe, and indeed, uh, in coming here, the last country they left was France, which is a safe, uh, democratic country uh, who have a a functioning asylum system, and people can seek refuge there uh, if they uh, see fit. Secondly, absolutely, we have a duty to the communities that are housing these illegal immigrants, and the Home Office works with local authorities, local health boards, and indeed others, to ensure that there are provisions made available f- not only uh, for the illegal immigrants that are having to be housed but also uh, that additional uh, services are put in place for uh, local communities who are indeed uh, having to house uh, these people. And that has been put in place, has it? The Home Office works across the country with communities to ensure that our facility is put in place, yes.
0: Susanna Reid speaking, there to Andrew Bowie. The nuclear minister, right. Legitimate questions, right, about this, about local services, local people, the impact of such an influx, the impact it will have locally and all the rest of it. Legitimate questions, I would say. Over on LBC Radio, James O'Boer is on his holidays, so you don't have to listen to him. Imagine spending two weeks with James O'Boer, my God. Lewis Goodall, formerly of Sky News, formerly of the BBC... It's all one big click, isn't it? They move from one to the other. Lewis Goodall sitting in for James O'Board. This is a wonderful bit of virtue signalling. And it absolutely crystallises what goes on in the UK media today. Okay, it's all... It's, it, it, the, the media is as legitimate as the political, the, the political system. In other words, it is completely illegitimate. The political system would have you believe you've got two sides or three sides to an argument in this country and you get a choice. The media behaves similarly. You've got the liberal, you've got the conservative media. There's your choice, but it's all bollocks. They're all playing for the same team. Okay, gatekeepers one and all, but listen to this from Lewis Goodall. Everyone,
6: as I say, can agree that there is a problem. The question is, isn't whether there is a problem or not. The question is whether or not
0: Hang on a second. Everybody can agree that there is a problem. And then he says the question is not whether there's a problem or not. Problem. The question is,
6: isn't whether there is a problem or not. This is Orwellian. Question is whether or not this is something which is simply too draconian, too austere, that simply does not reflect.
0: Yeah, yeah. Putting people on barges, sending people to Rwanda might be draconian, might be austere. What about the bedroom tax? What about the bedroom tax? What about, um, no, what about zero-hours contracts? You know, I I did a little check, and you can check if you like. It's wonderful. The internet's a wonderful thing. Lewis Goodall, who worked for Sky, worked for the BBC, now working for LBC, never had anything to say about zero-hours contracts. Never had anything to say about the bedroom tax. Never had anything to say about the Lib Dem Tory coalition of 2010 and its austerity which plunged millions of people in this country into abject poverty. He had fuck all to say about it. But when some people are allowed into this country with absolutely no scrutiny whatsoever from other countries, which are not countries where those people are in any real danger... Economic migrants now. Lewis Goodall wants to tell you it's all very draconian. Gaslighters and gatekeepers. G.A.G. Let's make an acronym for the UK media. Let it be said today, this day of our Lord, Tuesday the 18th of July, 2023. Gaslighters and fucking gatekeepers, every one of them. Nothing to say about the fact that when you walk down a high street in England and I was down Manchester every day last week, not feeling sorry for myself, but I was fed up to the back teeth with life and I was looking for something to do. I couldn't go 15 to 20 metres without seeing some poor misfortunate fecker in a doorway, often with a dog, often with cardboard boxes. Right? A result of Conservative Party and before them the Labour Party, their failure to take care of the people of this country. But Lewis Goodall doesn't give a shit. Never had anything to say about it, nor his predecessor or the guy he's sitting in for, James O'Bore. Nothing. But when some folks come over from Albania, come over from Turkey, because they think, fuck it, it looks great over there. And people say, hang on a second, what's going on? He starts to say things like Well he introduces the concept Well maybe it's a bit draconian Gaslighters and gatekeepers Every fucking one of them The long
6: standing humanitarian traditions Of this country And indeed sends exactly the wrong signal To our international partners And also with governments and regimes Which are far less humane Who
0: gives a shit about international partners Isn't it the government's responsibility To ensure that the taxpayers of this country have pretty straightforward access to a doctor, to a dentist, to housing, to affordable utilities when they need them, isn't it? Isn't that their priority? Why should they give a fuck what their international partners think about their immigration rules and regulations? Than it represents a departure from
6: established norms and principles of international law. Make no mistake, what this represents is is that if you have someone arrive from a country with as many problems as Afghanistan, something well,
0: what about Turkey? What about Albania? I think you can argue we had a direct hand in. Oh, well, we had more than a direct hand in the promises of Af- excuse me in the problems of Afghanistan. I mean, saying that you could argue we had a direct hand in the problems of Afghanistan, that's as big an understatement as saying that Manchester City are, um, you know, they're a fairly competent football team. You know, Man City is one of the greatest football teams of all time. The UK, the United States and the Coalition of the Willing turned Afghanistan into a fucking basket case. Didn't it? A basket case, a lunatic asylum. A vacuum which was filled by headchoppers and madmen which of course were funded, trained and armed by the uh, by the intelligence agencies of this country. What an understatement. You could argue that we had a hand in the problems of Afghanistan. No shit, Sherlock. From countries which are war-torn. What's going on in Sudan? Let's just leave him there because this is where I do genuinely start to feel the rage well up inside me and I start to fantasise about doing things to Lewis Goodall. Doing things. Terrible things. And that's not good. It's not a nice place to be, dear listener. Over on Jeremy Vine, we're staying with migration for now. We'll be talking about other things later on in the programme. Graham Taylor, not the legendary late football manager, obviously, but Graham Taylor, the writer and the commentator, debated migration with another commentator, Marina Perkis. This is on Channel 5 today. Have a listen.
7: I sat in a doctor's surgery one day. And it was a special clinic just for refugees. And I had to wait for two hours so that my son could be seen. And we weren't seen until they had seen all the refugees first. The infrastructure in Yorkshire is suffering because of the amount of people. It's also, many people find it quite threatening as well. They see these large groups of refugees hanging around on corners, Hmm. and it's Why are they hanging
5: around? Why are they hanging around?
7: But may- maybe that's an to, argument so for integrating. aren't
5: able to work.
7: But they don't integrate. They just set up ghettos of, of their own kind. And no, uh, well, yes, if they integrate, him. fine. No, no, no do. Do. Well, the,
5: the government does this on person. I feel like you're falling into their trap. You are blaming, for example, refugees rather than the fact that we haven't got enough doctors per capita to look after people. We've got the, one of the fewest doctors per capita in the whole of Europe. In fact, second only to Poland.
0: Yeah, she made his point for him there, didn't she? She made his point for him, as he points out in a moment.
5: Right, so part of the reason for that is because we haven't got a properly funded um, NHS system. Well, let's not get into that now. And the other thing is, when you have got groups of these, these migrants uh, uh, who are sort of, can be seen as loitering because they are waiting to be processed, sometimes over a year, and they aren't able to just go and mm.
7: work. But if you don't have enough GPs, if you don't have enough school places, if you don't have enough hospitals, don't let them in. Why don't they stay in France? It's supposed no to be. Rhetoric. No, it's not. I'm not. Fall, I'm falling for the working classes who are suffering in this country because of this migration candle.
0: Yeah, Marina Perkins and what's your man's name? Graham Taylor. 22 minutes past the hour. One more little tidbit for you before we get our first guest on the program, and it's Ice Cube. The speaking of legendary, using legendary uh, quite a lot this afternoon. Ice Cube, of course, legendary rapper and entertainer and film star and everything else. He was on Piers Morgan's program on Talk TV last night. They
8: talked censorship and they talked self-censorship. You will hear Ice Cube first. People are very polarized in all kind of ways. Uh, People are afraid to speak out uh, because of the cancer culture, cancel, I said cancer, cancel culture that we have today. So I, I just think, you know, people are, Afraid and they're running to their corners, you know, um,
0: in a way is a
8: cancer cancel culture. It It behaves like that It does because it makes not only the person that's getting canceled uh, They're trying to shut them up But anybody's watching now they shut up because they say if it can happen to this guy it can happen to me so by by smashing somebody who says something that you might not like and canceling them it actually reverberates throughout the whole community and everybody now is watching what they say all the time. Well see, what's the
0: answer to this? Because I think it's crazy that in a democracy like the United States, like the United Kingdom, the people... How can you say democracy and then say United States and United Kingdom without laughing? People are too frightened to speak their mind to say what they think. What
8: do I we th- do about this? I think you say what you want to say and to hell with the consequences. To hell with the consequences, right, Ice Cube? You got to be willing to fight for your rights and fight for what you believe in. And if you're a person who believes in freedom of speech, you have to fight and say what you feel and let the chips fall where they may and uh, stand on that. And, you know, it may not be an easy road, but um, I think you feel better about yourself when you say what needs to be said at the time it needs to be said and not afterwards, where you go home and think, I should have said this when that guy was there or when I was there, I should have said that and I didn't. Well, can that haunts you it, more. That haunts
0: you more, says Ice Cube. Interesting guy. Speaking to Piers Morgan on Talk TV, this is your Richie Allen show.
5: The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics, and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Comedy Podcast Live, an evening of politically incorrect comedy and commentary.
3: Do you remember? Eight o'clock on a Thursday. Stand on your front door and clap at the sky. <laughs>
4: you guys getting bored with television yet? The plots are getting so ridiculous and the characters are getting so, like, out of there and none of it's believable. Like, I don't know if you watch the same show as me, it's called uh, The News.
5: Thank God for the BBC. We could not have had a pandemic without them. Tell you what I want to go with my tinfoil hat, one of those tinfoil
7: moon buggies people think we rode around the moon on.
4: If you need six boosters for any product in the world, that sh don't work.
3: Andrew Lawrence, Abby Roberts, Alistair Williams, Stanford, July 27th, Katie Hopkins, Newport, July 28th. You will laugh, you will
5: feel better, and you will realise that you're not alone. So do grab your tickets, comedypodcast.live.
0: Comedypodcast.live. Thanks to Mike the Mank for your message. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Hi to Rich Hughes, who's in Altea in Spain. Spoke to the pool cleaner, who's 73. Asked him if it's hotter than usual. And he replied, hotter in the 80s and 90s than now. As according to the pool clean. if you can't trust the pool cleaner, I don't know who you can trust, Rich Hughes. I to Simon, January 2020, I too thought I was going to die. Chris Morrell asked a question about RFK Jr. And the controversy he has found himself embroiled in. He's been accused of making anti-Semitic remarks, hasn't he? RFK Jr. I was going to get into that yesterday, but... Um, I didn't have enough time. Alexandra, hi and thank you. And I to Jimmy too. Leave a message via my website RichieAllen.co.uk, or do download the app for the programme. Use the app. Send a message. Say hello to me and I'll be delighted to hear from you. I'll be speaking with in a moment none other than, wait for it, Aidan Killian and Stephen Murphy about the film 32 Mountains, which was released a few weeks ago. I only saw it this morning. I really enjoyed it. I genuinely did. It's terrific. Uh, They'll talk to us about the film, why they made the journey around the 32 counties, what's happened since. It'll be great. Stephen's a poet and a writer. Aidan is a comedian, an actor and a promoter to Good Guys. It's an Irish-themed programme today. Sarah Haboubi will be on the program a little bit later on as well it's Tuesday's program so it is with me the BBG this is the most listened to independent news radio show in the world and I'm the host of it the producer the chief cook and bottle washer I hoovered the studio too I sometimes do a bit of dusting this is uh, spin doctors two princes from 1993 I think It is half past the hour. The Richie Allen Show live from Salford in the northwest of the UK. Spin Doctors, Two Princes. I suppose that's a bit apt, considering we've got a couple of Irish princes. They mightn't see themselves like that. On the line, we'll uh, introduce them momentarily. They've got a film out, which I watched very early this morning. I shouldn't say they have a film out. That's a bit um, trite, really. They did, it, I think, an exceptional thing in 2021 in the early winter, late, late, late autumn in November, a very grim time for Ireland. They uh, and others, three Irish artists, in fact, went on a mission. They decided they would plant the flag of the historic Irish nation. And we're not talking the tricolour now. We'll, we'll, we'll learn about this in a moment. They would plant the flag of the historic Irish nation at the summits of the highest peaks, the highest mountains in each of Ireland's 32 counties. The film 32 Counties, A Quest for Hope in a Time of Darkness, um, is um, available to watch on YouTube. I implore you to watch it. I really do. When this live radio show ends and it goes to Podomatic or Spotify and all the rest of it, I will put links to where you can watch the film. And two of the men involved in it, two great lads, the comedian, the actor and the promoter, Aidan Killian, and the brilliant poet and writer, Stephen Murphy. Gentlemen, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome to you both. Welcome to the programme. How are you?
9: Well, really nice to hear your voice. How you doing? You there too, Steve?
0: I am, yeah. How are you, lads? How are you getting on? You sound brilliant, the TV. Thanks. Um, thank God for the technology. Um, it's a beautiful film, guys, and I'm always cognizant of the fact that when you interview people about films, you have to say, or you're meant to say, the film is wonderful or the book is great. And, and I reckon listeners or viewers to TV <laughs> programmes, they think, well, this is nonsense. Like, maybe he didn't watch it and he says this to everybody. Uh, but I don't. It's a beautiful, it's sad, and it's melancholic, and it's funny, and it's compelling. It's wonderful. You decide who goes first. What led up to you setting out on the journey in November of 2021?
2: Go on, Aidan, take that one.
9: Well, you know, it wasn't like a pre-made decision. I just called out to visit Tiernan's house, and Stephen was there already, and we got chatting over a cup of tea, saying, you know, we wanted to do something. And Stephen, being the uh, positive person that he is, he said, well, let's try and raise above it, you know, physically, vibrationally, if you will. So I was going for a walk with our good friend Sam, the the storyteller, and Tiernan and Stephen came on, 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 on the trip in the mountains. And before we knew it, I don't know if Stephen came up with the idea or between us we said why not do t- 32 counties in 32 days i'm sure the lads are more mad than i am so they said yes um that's kind of that's the, the, the that's the quick summary of it that, that, is that it steven for you yeah,
2: well that's that's kind of the gist of it yeah we kind of just got hit by um some sort of flash of inspiration that felt like it came from somewhere else somewhere kind of higher up than us and chose us to kind of pursue it so you know, without getting uh, without getting too deep into it. Um, the, um yeah, 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 we just called around to Tiernan's and all of a sudden, an hour later, drinking tea, we're going, all right, we're climbing 32 mountains in 32 days. Sure, sure. What else would you be out of a November in lockdown? It's wonderful. Hmm.
0: Tiernan, of course, is a musician and he plays a big part in this, but he's not here today. I'll stay with you then, Stephen. Um, those of us who knew something was gravely wrong in 2020, I think and in twenty twenty one we maybe we shared a mindset. I find it really, really touching for me that when you decided to do this, I was going through a, a personal crisis myself and came not, no exaggeration came very close to just jacking in journalism completely and going to do something else. I was so sick of it and so disgusted by it and and I'm guessing that on some level, stephen, this was is something maybe that you were experiencing as well. And that, that played some part in your decision to, I mean, you just make light of it, but it's still an amazing thing. Let's visit every county in the country and plant the flag for, for the country, for the history of the country, for freedom, for spirituality. Were you, were you were you particularly down or struggling at the time that this idea came about?
2: Richie, uh, good question, man, because nine months to the day, um since we started it, we started on November the 1st, we did the original climb with Sam and then we kind of, that was, that that was the birth of it. But the first climb on November the 1st uh, was Kulka Mountain in Cavan uh, and Fermanagh, the Cavan-Fermanagh border. And nine months before that, I woke up in intensive care in Limerick, having had my insides ripped out, uh, stitched up for me, chest and my bollocks. I talk about it a bit in the documentary, like, but, um, yeah. so... The, for for that and three months after the surgery, you know, separated from my wife and moved back up home. And you know, I, I know it's 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 going to sound very black here, but I when when I left, I I left uh, with a rope in the boot, you know, and um, sorry to be a bit graphic about that, but no. that's that's where I that's where I was at, wow. and um, and so that's. The progress of those few months into into doing that was just a way of going, you know, I'm still I'm still here. Just to give something, you know, a quest for hope. It was it was literally that. It was going, look, something to focus on, something, as Aidan says in the documentary, it's a meaningful purpose. It's something everybody needs some sort of meaningful purpose in their life to give themselves that kind of, you know, that that, that kick to it. you say you say yourself, you know, you were close to giving up journalism. You know, there's a lot of us uh, close to giving up everything. And, <laughs> you know, that that's the true one that um, in October 2020, I lost a very, very close friend of mine. Last time I saw him, saw him alive, we were sharing a stage in the Olympia. And um, he was murdered by lockdown because he didn't have that creative outlet of the music. Like he was touring the world and then he just couldn't take it anymore, Garrett Kane, And um, it was a real eye-opener for me because I kind of saw that and said, right, it could have been me. Gary went too far down the rabbit hole. I couldn't go down the rabbit hole because I'd been ill that year. So I had to focus on my own health. So I couldn't focus on the madness of the world. And in some weird way, my own illness, my own sickness, kind of saved me from the chaos that was going on around me because I kind of had to go within rather than look at the world outside me.
0: This is kind of spooky, Um, Stephen. Aidan, do, do you get what I... I said to... I, somebody asked me this afternoon, um, what, 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 did, why, what, what did you like about the film? Um, somebody else said to me, it's gloomy, but it's beautiful. And I said, you know why the film touched me as much as it did? And I didn't expect this. It's because at the time you made it, um I was looking for an escape. And th- that's just the wonderful thing about art. It could be totally wrong, my my impression, my interpretation. But I saw... This, as much as making a statement about life and being alive and being Irish, it was an escape for you guys, an escape. Uh, do, am I getting that right, Aidan? Was there something in that?
9: Well, I do remember being up in the mountains, like, in the early days. I think it was actually the stairway to heaven you mentioned there in Cavan. Um, I remember uh, Tiernan standing on a rock and just, just screaming and shouting and just really releasing the anger, you know, and resonating with that. Because... Mm. There was this, well, there was a real darkness on Ireland or maybe everywhere in the world. I I couldn't, um, I can't speak for other places, but I I really felt it. You know what Stephen was saying there about someone, you know, his friend taking his own life. I saw a lot, I saw a lot of um, that, you know, in, in an earlier trip around Ireland when I was doing comedy shows. People would come up to me and tell me about, you know, someone, you know, one of their friends or someone close to them who just couldn't take it. And i always know that that never really didn't seem to get a mention. Like those debts didn't seem to, you know, matter as as much as other debts. Yeah. And I felt a bit hopeless. I wouldn't say I felt like giving up myself, but I did feel that the, that the weight of the hopelessness, hopelessness around me. And when, you know, the lads were going, let's do this. I was like, yeah, this could be, could be really beautiful. You know, it's daunting to have to face something like that. But also... Um, it was perfect. It was perfect timing. It was. A, I was just really happy to have a mission to be out there in nature and, you know, to be with the talented lads, the two geniuses, uh, the two geniuses, and the good-looking fella. <laughs>
0: yeah.
9: Tell, tell us about we. Yeah, is
2: it?
0: we've got um Aidan Killian and Stephen Murphy on the line. Stephen is a poet and a writer. Um, a very a mutual friend of ours shared shared with me some of your poetry in the past, and um, it's it's wonderful. It really is. And there have been some, honestly, there there have been some requests and uh, we might get some time a bit later on to put you on the spot. But um, Aidan is a comic, um, very gifted comic actor and um, also a promoter. And we had Aidan on the programme early on in uh, in The Madness talking about, you know, Aidan was going around basically doing gigs in people's homes um wonderful thing and they have a film that you have to watch 32 counties a quest for hope in a time of darkness tell us about the symbolism of going to the highest peak in each county and planting the flag and tell us about the difference between the the flag of the historic irish nation as opposed to the tricolor um whichever one of you wants to, to jump in there go ahead
2: She's well, I'll take the uh, I'll, I'll take the mountains anyway, given that it was me that kinda of came up with the list of the mountains. And it wasn't for for some of them it it's important to kind of say that it wasn't necessarily the highest peak, but for me it kind of felt like the most um, energetically symbolic spot. Like even, you know, people would argue that Erigal in Donegal, where we went to sleeve league and sleeve league just means such a massive amount to me and the lads had never been there before it was such a beauty to be able to be, bring them up to the the um, the cliffs there at Slave League, and the Crowpatrick obviously in Mayo is you know Crowpatrick is the mountain of Mayo even though Millware is the actual highest point in Mayo and the Hill of Allen. There's a few kind of examples along the way, but for the most part it was the highest mountains, yeah. But um but not always just kind of energetically we were feeling it out as we as we went along, you know. Um, and to bring the flags up there was, to my mind, like we were bringing, <laughs> we are climbing up, um, climbing up the mountains with scaffolding poles going with us. And there's a particularly beautiful story about uh, we we're going up the Diamond in um, in Connemara, in Letterfrack, and we we're going in through, <laughs> we we're going we we're going past the um, the kiosk. I don't know why they put a kiosk there in the national park. Anyway, and this this lady kind of <laughs> leans out. And we're walking past her, and, um, and and I'm there with, a, with an eight-foot scaffolding pole on my shoulder, you know, walking past, not a care in the world. And um, and she leans out. She's going, where are you going with that? And I turn around and I said, well... <laughs> yeah,
9: more often, to be fair. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, well, there was no... There, there wasn't... That was the only place with the kiosk, really. So it's, I suppose if there was kiosks at the other mountain, and probably would. But um, but Mags, anyway, Mags of Flaherty, God bless her, and... Um, she says, where are you going with that? And I turn around and says, well, what we're doing is we're, uh, we're going, we're going to that mountain. We're going to assemble the flag. We're going to plant it at the top to allow the ancestral ghost of the trauma that Leonard Frack has suffered um, to heal and to ascend to the rightful place in heaven. And she says, have you got permission? <laughs> and I says, yeah, from God. And, and just turned and walked on. And, she, uh, yeah, she went and got her manager and all sorts and caught up with the lads later on. But we just bailed up anyway, and um, and and did it. I sent her a letter a seven-page letter explaining the mission. So I hope she got it, Stephen. That's um, it,
0: that's. I mean, to to what you said to the lady was profound and it was poetic and romantic. And the an- the answer coming back was, "Have you got permission?" <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's something. To- that's yes. that's pretty much the nature of the time we were we were, we were in, you know. Look at look at Aiden's story of of trying to get back home from France and stuff, and you're just saying, going, yeah. "Oh well, have you got permission or have you got your this or have you got your that?" And you're going, "Actually, I just you know just just leave me alone to live, you know."
0: You obviously met like lots of people, but but, but, but I can't before I move on there, Aiden. Do you want to talk about the significance of the flag then?
9: Yeah, the flag is, I mean, it's kind of tricky in Ireland. How do you choose a flag that really represents the Irish people? Not everybody would, um, you know, be jumping for joy at the Union Jack. And and there's 32 counties, so that was the the island of Ireland itself. It wasn't a political thing. It wasn't uh, against anyone. So we just tried to choose the flag that represented the people of this island. And green is the colour, you know, that that Ireland's um, often connected with you know green would be the uh, from the heart chakra you know and some people would say that Ireland is at the heart of the world and um, so we, we thought, you know if we could just create the situation where there's truth freedom and and love for Ireland well the whole world would be healed so all we needed was the green flags with the green flags and on the green flag there was a harp and the goddess Eru the flag, I believe, is called the Erin Gabra flag.
2: Is that right, Stephen? Is it the Erin Gabra flag? Well, there's be- the, well it's, there is the Erin Gabra. Um, that's the association with it. But like, we didn't have the actual text on that because that, particularly up the north and stuff that could be seen as political. But it was, it. was the flag itself dates back to, I think it's Owen Roe O'Neill. He uh, mentions it in the documentary itself, you know, Lucas on the research on it. But for us, I think it was more the the green and the emerald Isle the... Eru is the sovereign goddess and the sovereignty of ourselves and then the harp for the culture to represent us as artists. You know, and there has been people have kind of um, been pernickety about it. There's a few people on to me about the flag and going, oh, the flag, this, you know, because flags, obviously in Ireland cause a lot of kind of grief and stuff like that. But um, generally the people who are who on to me about it and giving out to me about that flag um, were just sitting on their arse doing nothing. So I'd rather be up the mountain. You know, trying to do something positive, than just bitching about um somebody else life. trying to do something about positive, the tyranny you know? of it.
0: What what I got from watching yeah. it is, I've I've only begun to kind of look into spirituality and energy in recent years. Previously, I was Good man. yeah. Well, previously, I was kind of pretty dismissive. You know, if I can see it and smell it, and if I can touch it, it's um there. And if I can't. Well, forget about it. But what I, I and again, this is the beauty of art, and you've created a piece of art. I interpret something from it that yeah. might not have been on your minds when when you made it. The three, the four of you, the five of you. But I looked at you when you were planting the flags, and some of the, we've got some of the most beautiful countryside in the world, if not the most beautiful. It's no wonder yeah, that so many favourite. isn't it beautiful? How, how many productions come to Ireland to to film, whether it's um you know period pieces or or whatever. And i believe as i'm coming to understand energy that the energy of our country is in its villages its towns it's in its waters its lakes its rivers it's in the coastlines it's in the caves you know it's in the castles these wonderful places and it almost felt to me at times that you guys whether you were conscious of it or not and maybe i'm talking complete bollocks but that you were somehow communicating with something ancient and that you were saying despite the compliance despite the capitulation of people you were almost saying on some level this is what i got out of it this morning anyway um we're not gone there are still some of us here that's what i got from it. yeah
9: yeah i'd like to add something there if i may richie yeah Um, go ahead you know when we went up there we wanted to do so under the umbrella of prayer and we chose the Lord's Prayer, and we decided to say the Our Father in in Irish. Even though I didn't know it at the time, uh, but the other lads did, and I learned it as I went along. Oskelga, and for us, because I suppose the old languages where the land might be it might be connected to the to the Irish words. And um, you know, for me, I think there was a real power in that because, you know, I'll be gone in a hundred years or less, and you know, in, in in a, in a million years Ireland will be sunk and a trillion years the planet will be gone but spiritually there's something in that for me spirit is that which is forever it's eternal and I really felt that power of uh, prayer at the bottom of the mountain and the top of the mountain we were honing in and really trying to manifest um heaven on earth you know to get beyond to get out of this this constant fear this constant like oh you know you're gonna die or you have to take this or you have to wear that and that energy was so heavy, like this, you know, I really connected with this, you know, this spirit on, on, on the mountain um, within me and on the mountains, which really just brought me out of it. And I, and, I, and I felt, you know, looking back, if we could all do something like that, whatever, everybody has their own mountains to climb uh, within and without. But if everybody had their own mission, there's no way anybody could trick or trick us or use magic or, manipulate us into you know locking ourselves in i just don't think people would have it because their spirit would be too strong they wouldn't put i don't know with it. if it any sense there but that's yeah it makes think. great
0: sense what i'd like to do is let's give a big plug. can we can we just give one big plug to where people can watch the film and then i want to talk to you personally about where we might feel we are um the film is 32 counties a quest for hope in a time of darkness it's around about 70 minutes long where should people go and watch it? That being said, of course, I'm going to put it on the website and I'm going to put it on the podcast. That won't make much difference, but I'll do that anyway. Um, where should they go to watch it?
2: At the minute, it's just up on YouTube. Um, so just type in 32 Counties, a quest for hope. Uh, in a time of darkness, or just 32 Counties, a quest for hope should should bring it up anyway. Um, so it's just on my, on my YouTube channel. Um, it was made by a very dear friend. of us, a very gifted soul, Luke Coherdon. And um, but yeah, he made the whole thing himself. Normally, for a production like that, you'd have like uh, half an hour of credits at the end of it. And it's just yeah, he just did it in eighteen months and came back, and we were like, what? How? How? But um, yeah, it's it's up on YouTube anyway. Yeah, it's just type in Thirty Two Counties: A Quest for Hope.
0: Well done. It it's there. um it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Stephen is here, not under duress, but he's got a bit of the lurgy, so he's been drinking putine. All day long. That's that's
2: our <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: That's our moonshine, isn't it? Putine is our moonshine. They make it out of corn mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff in America. We make it with with uh, potatoes. Stephen is a poet and a writer, and he's very accomplished, by the way, and um, and a performer, of course. And um, Aidan is a is a comedian. He's an actor. He is a, a promoter of comedy as well. There are two parts of this great film. I can't recommend it highly enough. Guys, again, whichever one of you wants to jump in here, jump in. I this is not negative now. I believe that we've suffered some sort of a shock. I think people in the last three years. I don't know if you'd call it a spiritual shock, or I, I think we're kind of in shock because of what was done to people. And you touched on it yeah. earlier on. You know, they there is an inquiry ongoing in the UK right now. There will be an inquiry in Ireland. And they're talking about we should have locked down earlier and we should have saved lives. And yet I can't just not think back to what Aidan said and what you said, Stephen, about people taking their own lives because of the psychological damage, the torture inflicted on them during that time. But I think society has had some sort of shock at what happened and it seems that there's been some sort of levelling off for the time being. How do you feel about that? You know, how do you feel about meeting people now, people who swallowed it and maybe are still swallowing it? Like, have you had to adjust the way you live, the way you speak to people, the way you do business? Anybody want to jump in there? Whichever one wants to jump in.
9: Aidan Goffert. I've noticed I, I do comedy gigs and I don't always talk about these subjects to the extent that I might like to, although I do touch on them. And sometimes if I go too far, I notice that I lose the audience and I go, wow, they, they still they still believe all that. Uh, but more and more, you know, people come up to me and go, yeah, yeah, you, you're, you're so right. Or sometimes I even get applause breaks, you know, without even being funny, but just acknowledging that it was a load of nonsense. So that gives me hope, you know, but I can't say it's everyone I meet. So I think, I think you know, if there's the global warming lockdowns or whatever the next nonsense is, I can imagine that some people will jump in head, head, headline and sinker. And some people don't forget liked it. They liked being locked down. They were already kind of a bit miserable. Sometimes people like being miserable. It gave them an excuse to stay indoors and watch Netflix and over drink and overeat not to be negative, but like some people have accepted a sort of a level of unhappiness that they're not connected with nature. They're not connected with spirit. They're happy to play computer games or stay indoors. Um, and that's, you know, that's maybe slightly worrying, <laughs> yeah. but at least the ones that are going out to comedy clubs who are, you know, going out and, and talking and laughing, I, I find more and more that they they have a um, a disbelief of those who are acting as if they're in power. And that really gives me hope.
0: Great stuff, so Stephen. Go let, let's bring in, let's bring in Stephen. Stephen Murphy, of course. Stephen, do you? I, I, I like to hold on to something. I I have been accused of naivety, and that's fair enough. But I like to hold on to this idea that it might be more difficult next time for those who, you know, wield these types of powers. It might be more difficult for them to fool the populace again. Now, Aidan is not so sure. What do you think? Am I being overly optimistic?
2: To be honest, um, you know, I mean, Stephen and Aiden have spoken about this quite a lot, and I, for like, I, I tried not to go down the COVID rabbit hole for a good reason. Like I was saying earlier on, like it, it literally murdered my friend who went too far down the, the rabbit hole and has three young sons after him, and he couldn't, he couldn't find the light anymore. So I, I, I tend to try and be careful and to mind my own mind in terms of the darkness that was foisted on people, but the psychological, you know, you touched on it there earlier, the psychological abuse, the outright and flagrant lies that were peddled to people. It's, you know, see, it's, the, it's the, the elderly people who are still institutionalised in their own homes, who believed everything, When the likes of Leo Baradkar, you know, the Taoiseach at the time here, and, and unfortunately back again as such, but um, was, was literally quoting film scripts for a bet well he scared the shit out of old people in their homes who were afraid to afraid to leave their house for like two and a half years you know that's that's psychological warfare and these people should be held account- accountable for it but on a personal level like i know i know a lot of people who did buy into us you know who did get get, get the jabs etc i don't love them any less because of it because they made their own personal choices and for me when it, what it comes down to is the right to personal integrity and personal accountability to say, no, this is my choice. I respect your, your right to believe, whatever it is that you want to believe, I'm not going to interfere with that, but you have to do the same for me and to allow allow me to live and let live. That's that's where I'm at. But like when I'm, when I'm doing gigs and stuff like that, I tend to kind of, um. it's not that I don't even, I don't even skirt around it. I, I, I just kind I of, do, I do my own thing, but there's no doubt in my mind that like, if you go back to even the time that we were doing it, you know, we weren't let into places because we were, you know, the great unwashed essentially, because the three of us just didn't, didn't say, uh, didn't take the jab, you know, and because of that, we weren't allowed perform. We weren't allowed to do our job. We weren't considered essential enough. Like who died and gave anybody else a right to say, you're essential, you're not. That is just, that's the height of insanity. That's, you know, I, I actually am. Um, Oddly, and this is a this is a bit of a mad one, but um I'm rambling here, sorry, but uh You're not during during the mission uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm even talking about this, but during the mission, we, we were up uh sleep in Loud and I was actually asked um to do the prayer of the faithful at, um in St Patrick's cathedral in Dublin for um, a service that's on every year to one of the artists who died during the year. I was asked to do the prayer of the faithful on behalf of the the writers who died over the the previous year. So we went down from the mountain in Louth, I bailed into into Dublin with Tiernan in the van, he drops me off at the cathedral. I'm then sitting, I'm, I'm standing there, drinking tea, talking to Michael Lee and a few others. <laughs> uh, the, the, the president about this mission that we're on, looking like a man who just been up 20 <laughs> mountains in 20 days. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm there asking Michael Lee, who I've met on several times, you know, you when know, um, I've gigged at the IRS, all the rest of it. Uh, and, and I'm there asking Michael Lee, because I couldn't not and I said to the lads, I have to, I have to ask him this, how can you reconcile presiding over an apartheid state? And I can't remember the exact words that he sent back to me, but obviously, you know, he didn't—he didn't want me. But you know, maybe, may, maybe there's a maybe when you reach a certain level of power, you become compromised or something. But um, I, but I had to ask that. It's going, this, this, the reality of what we were living through was was a form of apartheid, and people try to dismiss that word because it's sullied by race and stuff. But actual, actually, it's just apartheid, and you're going one person's choice can see them shunned and closed out of society, while another person's choice can see them integrated into society. That's insanity. That's we, we were living through outright fascism. And you don't just get over that because everybody because somebody then turns around a few months later and says, all right, lads, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, just go back to how you were. The psychological fallout of that afterwards lives with people. People are still suffering from PTSD after what we we're, were were put through for like three years. It's
0: demonic. Some people say to me, it, "It's demonic." Just Stephen, Aiden, can I? Do you find it difficult, Aiden? Because you know you're you're um an active and working comedian, and I mean, look, I'm not just saying this. When you came on a couple of years ago on the program, you had us in stitches. You're very funny. I've seen you online. You're genuinely funny. And and so, right, we're, we're kind of back to some semblance of kind of where we were before 2020. Is it difficult sometimes to not be resentful towards people? You know, being back on the circuit, that must be difficult, I imagine, Aidan.
9: You know, Richie, I never went back on the circuit, to be honest with you. You know, I came back and I did my 32 county tours, uh, 68 gigs in people's homes and houses, whoever had me during lockdown. And I really enjoyed it. I really did connecting with people on and off stage. And after we were allowed out again, um, I found it very hard to go back. I found it very hard to go back because I did have a level of animosity that I hadn't quite dealt with towards the venues. who didn't let me in towards the audience who went to other venues while I wasn't allowed in towards them for participating in something that I thought was really wrong. But I didn't want to be, like, you know, filled with animosity. So I've been trying to, I've been trying to, like, um, just focus on the laughter so now now i do a few gigs like maybe four or five a month i usually host them I, tr- I kind of just flirt on those subjects i do i let people know where i'm at but i don't go into it you know i don't I'm, i'm just trying to sort of keep the vibe high but i also i find it hard to forgive the comedians you know a lot of comedians would have been slagging me online for my beliefs that i don't know that masks don't work or the COVID particle wasn't uh, isolated, or whatever they were at the time, or right? the fact that lockdowns were wrong, you know. And and or, you know, even now, like, you, there's a well-known comedian in Ireland who had like five stints put in his heart, and he's a fit, healthy man of, you know, I don't know if he's even fifty yet, and he's like, um, you know, doesn't doesn't connect it at all to like the jab. And sometimes I feel like I'm banging the head my head off the wall. And I just have to bring myself back to the place like, look, I don't you know, they're not my friends, but they're not my enemies. It doesn't really matter. I just need to just go back to the art form and do something that's inclusive, that makes people feel good. But I haven't quite fully recovered in in the in the scene yet. The comedy scene yet. I'm getting there, but it's yeah, (laughs) I don't really go to normal gigs anymore. That's a really interesting
0: (laughs) interview. And you said something there. You said they're not our friends, but they're not our enemies. And I've been tossing and turning lately about this this concept, I, I see the polarisation online about 700 different issues, whether it's gender, whether it's race, whether it's COVID, whatever. And it occurs to me that <coughs> even those of us who, who, who understand that tyranny is what brought the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates and all of that. Um, but we, I, I'm beginning to understand, and it's a hard one to get away from, that there's no way to paradise or no way to a free and fair and open society without bringing these people with us because just because they don't see the things we see they're not our enemies. Now, this might sound very basic and very simplistic, but we don't speak about this often enough and we don't think about it often enough. They're not our enemies. They're not. I see people in our local Tesco. I swear, even today, I go in there three, four times a week wearing masks. They're not seniors. They are younger people. And I the, the teeth, teeth get gritted. I, they, they, we, nobody swears like us. You know, we can fit so many swear words in between ordinary words and uh, all this comes back it wells up in me and then i realize they're not the enemy but that at the same time we can't proceed without these people Stephen, am i talking bollocks or is there do we have to come to some understanding that we have to take people with us
2: to be quite honest richie no you're not talking bollocks and i think they i i think it's i think it's 100 true because like sometimes there are family members as well you know yeah as course. in and there's, there's so much division and so much kind of it's, and that's like you say about so many different issues, like divide, 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 it's divide and conquer just all, all over the place. And it's going, hang on a minute. I want to do, I want to do things like I moved away from in, in terms of my own work and stuff, like from being, from being ill, like I was talking about earlier, I kind of just, it changed my entire perspective and I, I kind of stepped outside myself and said, hang on a minute. Stop reacting to what you're, to what you're being told to react to and start being proactive. Cause if you're reacting, it's easy. I could have, re- I could have, you know, written something about the RTE thing that was another, another complete distraction, you know, yeah. look over here, the magician's trick, etc. But why to react to it? No, it's like, I'd, re- I'd much rather be proactive and bring people with me than reactive and turn myself against people or turn, turn people against me. Because this 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 idea of division is not doing anybody any good, and if you look at the documentary, like that's that to me is what it's all about. Aidan Aiden says it in it ex- explicitly says it in it where it's going. It didn't matter if people were vaccinated or unvaccinated. We weren't going to turn people away because they didn't necessarily agree with us. And if you do that, that's just reverse exclusivity. You know, you're going. You're you're actually. It's 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 a form of reverse discrimination to say you don't agree with me. I'm going on. I, you know, you're not you're not on my team because you disagree with me just because you swallowed the government narrative or whatever it happens to be. And it's it's this constant tit for tat. You know, it doesn't do anybody good any anybody any favors. So you have to try and find a common ground where you can at all and realize, for me anyway, that we're all just as human as each other. And people are just trying to get by in so many ways a lot of the time you know you look at people and i know like a lady i know for example who's militantly uh part of the you know what i term the anti-everything alliance you know and she has the time to be so but for a lot of people you know they're 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 really struggling just to survive so they're working from you know nine to six they're spending three hours commuting to work, by the time they get home and get the kids in bed, they're exhausted. They don't have the time to actually open their eyes to the world and see things that we perhaps see in a clearer way than they do, because their lives are just taken up by that level of exhaustion just to put food on the table and just to survive. That doesn't make them bad people in any way, shape or form. It It just means that their realities are different to ours. And if we don't respect other people's right to live how they wish to live, then why should we expect the the reverse to be true?
0: Well said, Stephen. Listen, um, if you get a chance, there, there's an enormous amount of comments have come in on the website, but also through the app. Um, this means a lot to people. I could read out five, five, 50, 60, 70. We've had about 500 different messages come in. That's not an exaggeration. I'll read a couple. Marie says, Aidan came to our little breakaway group near Drumaher in County Leitrim. Please God I pronounced that right. Um, during the lockdown, um, he gave drama us a hair. drama hair. I was going to say drama hair, and I thought, oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's,
2: that's ten minutes away from where I was born and raised. So, yeah. Is that
0: right? I,
9: Must be good land, so. How are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> to celebrate the
0: <laughs> Thanks for covering up my pronunciation of me being an Irish guy, screwing it up. Um, um, Drama here, then. That's how that's how it is. Yeah, County that's County Leitrim, um, Murray. Great laughs, and she's looking forward to seeing uh, the film. Richard says it's a very very powerful film. It was for him. Lots of people are linking to it. Um, Wayne says he's always found Ireland very spiritual. Spent time in the hillsides and ancient church ruins, meditating and praying. Not been for many years and lost contact with his family. But listening to this and listening to you guys, um, um, you know, maybe changing his mind. Before we um. Part company today, and don't be strangers by the way, come back any time you like um, if I'm putting you on the spot Stephen, tell me to um, to feck off, but a number of people oh, have said yeah, to yeah. me um, maybe you don't have it at hand but um, your poem um, email from dog to man anytime. Email
2: from dog, email from dog to man and Jesus, it, who's, who's on to you about that one, I co- can give it to you if you want Like,
0: yeah, a cu- couple of different people one, one, one mutual friend, somebody else on email um, I've not heard it before. I believe it's about two two minutes or, or thereabouts, which I is perfect. Was, it
2: it's it's only a couple of minutes long. It's actually for, for me dog Luna. My my young fellow my young fellow was with me for the last week and my dog was with me as well and she's slowing up. So um yeah, it's uh, Jesus. It's amazing how, how, how close we can get to dogs, you know, to teach us a lot about unconditional love. And maybe that's what we need to practice for each other in in spite of our disagreements sometimes, you know.
0: Do you want to give us um, um, a few lines or give us two minutes you can I, give it Harold, give it all to us?
2: I, I can give you the poem for the crack show, why not? Go on. Email from dog to man. It says, hey man, how are you doing? I was chewing on your shoe but getting pretty bored. So I thought it right to show you how much you're adored. I was going to use a pen to be like Beckett, Joyce or Dunn until suddenly it struck me that I don't have any tongues. But I hope it doesn't scare you that I've taught myself to type. I learned how to read through the blogs people write. Please try to forgive me if my grammar is shy, but I have no preconceptions about what's wrong or what's right. But see, I've known you a long time now, and I've analysed you closely, and this life that you've been living is a parasitic parody that feeds upon the blood of self-fulfilling tragedy, where days and weeks meet months and years. with vague familiarity, but never are your boundaries pushed to be the best a self can be. Just don't turn around in years from now and say to you remember me when all you've ever seen me as is lucid domesticity and only in your darkest moments look to find the light in me. But look, I'm not trying to sound harsh. I'm just speaking my mind. I'd be everything you are if I knew how to lie. So your world is my life, man. And if you ask me to die, I'd push back my ears and I'd politely comply. But I have watched and loved, watched and hated watched an infiltrated hate with love as easily as innocence is obliterated. I have heard you screaming out the names whose overdose and pleasure brought you pain. And I have listened, as patiently as the wives of war victims facing hospital corridors listen to the horrors that man brings upon man. Yet still you're rather the cat. Cause he looks after himself, steals ham off the table and cheese off the shelf. There's no codependence, it's each their own. If your world fell apart, he'd just lick his own hole. I just think you should know. He's been plotting your death. Ever since that last ill-fated trip to the vets, though looks are deceiving, he's completely insane, he's got no sense of reason, and he's numbered your days. But you see, sometimes I wish I could talk. Or bring you for a walk and a lead so you can see how it feels to be me. Because if I could talk, I too would blame astrology or clinical psychology, religious ideologies or pharmaceutical dichotomies for all that might be wrong with me when in reality, I'm an animal. Who was born and who will die happy in the knowledge that I have lived and loved my time. So if you get this, and I hope that you do, I just wanted you to know that, well, I'm sorry about your shoe. But don't be worried about me. There's no need to reply. If you just talk a bit louder, I'll be here by your side. Sinead. Sinead.
0: That's
2: beautiful.
0: And that, that was inspired by Luna, did you say?
2: Ah yeah, Luna's my dog. She's a, the most beautiful dog in the world, half setter, half half retriever. But well, it was it was written a long time ago. Um, over a conversation I actually had when I was in London for a wee while With a friend of mine over there, and we're going. I yeah, it was written quite long, quite a long time ago. It's wonderful. There's since been the follow up from the cat and stuff like that as well. So you know, it helps to be completely insane. I've, I've actually got a ninety minute poem <laughs> about animals waking up in a farm and doing you know?
0: ninety minute honestly about that yeah 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 <laughs> that was written
2: during this pilgrimage actually called the misty morning yeah just um, just,
0: just because we're going to run, run out of time quickly i, I want I no know. no 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 i want you to um to, to let our listeners know individually where they can find you so um aiden we'll, we'll, you first before before we get Stephen? um where should people go to see more of aiden killian and speaking of gigs that you host yourself what have you got coming up that, that people should maybe consider um, you know, putting on their diaries? Go ahead.
9: I'll just say, before I say that, Stephen's poem, The Misty Morning, is the greatest poem that's ever written in Ireland. And I'd strongly suggest that people take the time to look it up. Um, I can mm-hmm. be found at aidenkillian.com. I release bits online. You'll find me if you look for me. Stick my name in. Uh, gigs coming up are... Um, They're on probably comedyclub.ie, but I don't have any yet. (laughs) You won't find too many with me
0: right now. So, um, yeah, just keep following my website and there'll be something there eventually. Well, it's not there's no patronising element to this at all. You're hilariously funny, Aidan. And I remember getting email after email after email from people whose homes you'd visited and parishes you'd visited when you were on that tour, who said that not only were you hilarious, and entertaining and interesting, but you're also an absolutely stand-up guy, so so congratulations on that. AidanKillian.com And look, you'll be back you'll be back soon as well. And Stephen, Stephen Murphy, where should people go to read these wonderful poems?
2: Jesus, I don't know. Well, I have the website, which is fairly loosely developed, but at the minute it's the theseahound.ie The Seahound is Umaraku, from the Seahound is the name of the book. But the theseahound.ie, people will find the books there, and they'll get me on Probably Facebook or Instagram as well. I've just got the public page on there and the Facebook, even though it's a disaster. But sure, look, it is what it is. And it's uh, finding that balance between, you know, the online and the offline and not getting sucked into the web uh, too much is difficult. But um, yeah, to the see they'll find the books on there if they want to support the craft or anything like that.
0: Congratulations and, um, on. On on that, sorry to cut across you, right? But I've got a guest coming a on in a couple of minutes. No, no, no. I want to say 32 counties: a quest for hope and a time of darkness. It's terrific. Yeah. Well done on it, and well done yeah, for so getting it so out. To find
2: the work as well, sorry, you To find the work, there. there's a few poems up in the YouTube channel. If they type in 32 counties: a quest for hope, and they find the documentary, they'll find a load of it. that's on, that's on my own YouTube channel. So they'll find a load of the poems on there as well.
0: Stephen, Aidan, Sloan, Tommel, August, Skurve, Milla, Margot, Agwev. Excuse me. Um,
2: August God bless. Yeah. Cheers for having us on, Richie. Nice one, man. It's been Thanks a pleasure. To
0: Thanks, Stephen. Stephen Murphy, poet, writer, performer and um, storyteller, obviously. Aidan is a comedian and actor and a promoter, Aidan Killian. Brilliant, guys. All the links you heard there will be on the podcast and I'm going to take the YouTube film. Well, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to take the link and I'm going to embed it on richieallen.co.uk a bit later on so that you'll be able to watch it there and they'll get all the views. It's really worth watching. It really is 32 Counties A Quest for Hope in a Time of Darkness. Stephen Murphy and Aidan Killian live on Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show live from BBG Towers here in the heart of Salford. I'm Richie Allen. Uh, thank you for all the comments which came in that came in even during that um, conversation. Too many to read out. I'll read one or two of them when we come back in a moment. The time is coming up now, Well, it's just gone quarter past six.
1: Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk.
0: Lovely. Great guys, eh? Thanks for um, your company this afternoon, for your comments. You can reach out to the programme at any time via the app, via richieallen.co.uk. Lovely message coming in from Isabel. Beautiful. She... Loved listening to the guys. She talks about Ireland's energy and she mentions my recent interview with Fiona, which talked about that as well. And she remembers Aidan. Um, hi to Nikki, who says, I still cannot get over the silence of the punk rock bands during the scam. Not a word from our so-called music rebels. My heroes let me down big time, says Nikki. But then I found this show, she says she says you're more punk than all of them Richie, thank you Nikki. there's more punk in the monkeys is that, um, Gillian says the poem which is uh, entitled, email from dog to man, as read by Stephen Murphy, is uh, beautiful it brought tears uh, to my eyes, says Gillian I I nearly welled up myself to be honest because we love our dogs, we've always loved our dogs and you know, they come and go don't they if you're lucky they'll live to be 11, 12, if you're lucky, if you're very lucky, you'll get 15, 16 years um, with your dog. But um, yeah, Cliff, that was lovely, says Cliff. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, Paula. Thanks to Gillian Kent. Um, tears to my eyes, says Gillian Kent. Rich came back to say he's a cat man, but the poem made him cry. Amazing words and heartfelt feeling. It's lovely is what it is. Uh, this is the Richie Allen Show. I've already told you that. I'm going to take another tune. When we return, Sarah Haboobi will be live on the programme. I really like Sarah. Of course, Sarah has got Iraqi heritage, hasn't she? Um, she's in Ireland. She runs Think Local. Thinklocal.ie. There's an event coming up in a couple of days. I think it sold very well, but we said we'd get her on for a chat. Anyway, she was due to come on with me last week, but of course, I was um, not to be found really last week, was I? Not to be found. Ah, sure, yeah. Eighteen minutes past the hour of six o'clock. The Richie Allen Show live from Salford RichieAllen.co.uk, fabradio 2 TuneIn.com The programme has its own app. Download it from Google. Download it from the App Store. This is Betty Boo. Sublime poetry, followed by Betty Boo. <laughs> Yeah, the album was called Boo Mania. That came out in 1990. At that time in 1990, I was 15 years old and I was collecting glasses in a bar, a disco bar in Waterford called Fat Sam's run by the Kavanaugh family. Collecting glasses I was with people like Sean Malloy, top man from Lismore Park, Trevor Whelan, top man from Lismore Park in Waterford, collecting glasses. And the DJ at the time was a gentleman called Darren O'Sullivan, who, um, I'm going to get this all wrong, My, my, my memory tells me Darren was from Tremor, but I don't think he was. Now, maybe he was. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. But Darren was a lovely, lovely guy. And he was a brilliant DJ. And he was great with the younger staff, you know, because when you're collecting glasses and bottles and fetching stuff from the cellar, You know, as a 15-year-old, you're basically pond scum, aren't you? (laughs) You (laughs) And you dream about being 17 when you can serve the actual alcohol behind the bar. But Darren was lovely. And I don't know why this has come to mind, because this is so many years ago now. But Stephen mentioning people, artistic people, you know, vulnerable people who were driven to the edge of madness by the lies of COVID and the lies of the pandemic and didn't survive it and sadly took their own lives. It just reminded me of Darren. And it's been so long ago in the unlikely event anybody connected to Darren is listening. I'm in no way now, uh, you know, trying to rake or, you know, bring up bad memories. But um, he was an amazing guy, Darren. he just begun to do the late night um, radio show at WLR. Life is weird, isn't it? In, in Waterford. And um, he took his own life, much to the shock and to the horror of everybody who knew him, particularly us young lads, because we all looked up to him. You know, he was in his early 20s, he was a DJ. And when we were told this news, we were devastated. But just, just this it brought back this memory of this, of this guy. We should never forget people. We should talk about people from time to time. These people who, you know, you know, meant something to us along our, our, our journeys, along our, our, our pathways. And we shouldn't, um, we should remember them and talk about them, I think, you know. Yeah, so that was uh, evocative, that for me. 23 minutes past the air. Sarah Haboubi has been on to tell me she's running about five minutes late. That's no big deal. We can cope with that. Good evening to Drew. Loves the Betty Boo song. Thank you, Drew. I'm glad somebody liked it. Hi to Georgie, who says, the poem read out just now by Stephen. Uh, email from dog to man which is um, beautiful. She says, evocative and funny to the end. At the end. Had me in tears listening to it. A brilliant uh, interview, Richie. I will be sending it to my half-awake family who have expressed interest in your show even. I'm slowly getting there with my half-awake family, says Georgie. Uh, Chris says, the poem was beautiful. I just logged on as he started reading it. What a special man. Great stuff. Lots of lovely compliments for Aidan. And for for Stephen, thanks for sending them in. Jenny says, I'll definitely watch the film. Just one point. I'm retired and I didn't believe a word of it. Now, where I live, says Jenny, it tended to be younger people who swallowed it all. I'm not getting at them. I'm just stating my experience. I heard about a lot of suicides too. It was a dreadful time and we should never forget. Although the lads are right. We need to forgive those who abused us because... Their views were different, but they were not behind the scam. And that's important, too. I agree with that. Jules uh, says, beautiful, says Jules. Thank you for that. David Keane as well. On the whole family thing and the neighbours who swallowed it all, John Spargo says, while they're not the enemy, they're not blamed free either. They refused to look. Even when they were pleaded with, they wouldn't look. Even when the rules were laughable. With laughable contradictions, they refuse to listen or question anything their governments told them. I have come to the realisation that if it were 80 years ago, my friends, sorry, he says, if it, were, if it were 80 years ago, my friends, colleagues and family would have shopped Anne Frank. That says John. And I understand, John, I understand you saying that, I get it. And um, I don't blame you, you know. There are lots of um, people I know very well, And they see things like John. They say, yeah, you know, I find it difficult to forgive those who, uh, you know, who swallowed it and went along with it and refused to have any conversation about why it might have been different. Really uh, lovely to welcome back to the programme my next guest. She is an international speaker and a coach, of course, and an NLP Master Practitioner. We've been speaking with her in the last uh, year to 18 months about Think Local. You need to check out thinklocal.ie, the conferences, which are all the rage. And um, let's welcome her back in the time that we have. It's uh, it's only Sarah Habubi Sarah, welcome back. How are you? We've been speaking with her. In the last uh, year. I can hear myself there now. So what I'll do is I've just lowered your fader. So if you want to turn me off in the background, we don't get any echo there. I know you're rushing around today and you're very kind to drop in on us for a few minutes. I can't hear myself now. Sarah, welcome back. Oh, hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Thanks. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Sorry, I couldn't hear
1: you there. So I've just unplugged my, my mic. I'm great. A little bit out of breath. Sorry about that. No you're,
0: no, you're fine. You're running around because you've got a conference in two days. Tell us about it. Uh,
1: yeah, it actually starts tomorrow evening. And uh, so we've got, the, we've got a lovely feast with organic uh, Wagyu beef and pulled pork and all kinds of wonderful goodies and speeches and raffles and all kinds of stuff. And then on Thursday, we have the actual Think Local Festival. So that starts at nine o'clock all the way through till 7 p.m.
0: Now, r- remind us, remind our listeners, what's the concept of think local? what 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 does it mean, and what does it aim to achieve?
1: Think local. the whole concept is to essentially start a movement where people can meet, they can learn about different ways of farming, different farming models, selling direct or um, having co-op where people, grow together and they, they feed a sort of you know small neighborhood, a sort of group of friends or families. Um, also we look at things like um, healing centers and helping people to get back on their feet in terms of their health because I think so many people have suffered both physically but also mentally. And obviously connection is a huge, huge part of that. You know, we are human beings. We're not designed to be separate and just simply to talk through electronic devices. As, as wonderful and as great as it is, especially to be able to talk to you, Richie, all the way from Ireland. And um, also in terms of, for this one in particular, the theme really is around free speech. It's about being able to speak freely, to be able to have robust debate, to be able to disagree, uh, does, you know, free speech. Uh, the argument against it is that if you have free speech, then people can just go around insulting people and being horrible. Um, I don't think anyone's ever believed that's what free speech actually no. means. What it means is that we're all entitled to have different opinions.
0: And you know what, Sarah? We, we, have, do you know I what? we? Just talk about yes, we were pretty adept or adroit at dealing with idiots who ran around insulting people, weren't we? We managed to, to deal with that for hundreds of years, if not millennia, dealing with idiots. We don't need to legislate for idiots, do we?
1: Not well, I don't know. We've got a few idiots who are throwing a few insults our way. So, you yeah. know, it's quite interesting because we're being accused of being far right fascists, apparently, because we want to talk about people growing their own food and taking responsibility for their health. Uh, but actually, uh, you know, so it's quite interesting because it's this completely inverted world that we're living in, isn't yeah. it, really? It's kind of a, it's a great example.
0: Can I just qualify what I said? You are absolutely right. There's a huge imbalance there. While I believe in free speech absolutism, I hear what you're saying. You are as far away from being far right as, I don't know, Um, I'm trying to think of somebody, Princess Diana maybe, I don't know, right? You're obviously not a far right uh, human being, but these charges can be leveled at people like you and um, they're not compelled to offer you right of reply. That's the imbalance. That's the sickening thing. So when you say you want to talk about free speech, that means debate. That means um, um, an opportunity for everybody to have their say and not to allow mass media or politicians or special interest groups libel people and defame them without ever any, without you ever having any redress. That's important to say. Mm. So I totally agree with that. And I tell you what, Sarah, talking about it, at the conference on Thursday. Um, it couldn't be more timely because, as we all know, Ireland is about to introduce um, legislation that is basically totalitarianism on steroids, isn't it? The new hate speech, Bill. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Oh, goodness me. Well, I I, I haven't actually watched the news or listened to anything the last couple of days because I've been running around like a headless chicken, as you can imagine. Uh, we're a very, very small group of volunteers, so we've uh, we've got a lot of burden to carry to pull this off. Uh, you know, to the level that we want to. But um, yeah, as far as I was aware, it was being postponed until the autumn. So, did I miss something? Are they did did uh, did our Minister of Justice manage to s- squeeze it in before they broke up? No, I'm no. Not sure if I
0: missed. Something. No, no, not not that I'm aware of. No, you're right, the postponement, but it's 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 not going away, is it? It just isn't. It might have been shelved. As far
1: as we're aware, no. I yeah. think it's just one of those things where they're going to kind of go, oh, we'll just p- postpone it, and then they'll try and probably bring it in under the cover of night. Um, but there is a big pushback here, though. I, I'm really, really pleased to see uh, the likes of um, uh, Senator McDowell um, and such like and, and uh, Rona Mullen, you know, they're, they're pushing back. They're saying, hang on a minute. And of course, we have our, our great uh, <laughs> independent media, grip media. Ben Scallon is actually really because they're allowed in to actually press conference conferences and actually putting the difficult questions to them in terms of where is it coming from and who's actually asking for this? Because. They did their own survey and over 80% of people said, uh, no, we don't want it. The government did their survey, 73% said, uh, no, this is not a good idea. Um, but they're just they're trying to just steamroll, steamroller, of course, like like everything else that's happened in the last three years. you know, Democracy is well and truly dead in the water by the looks of
0: it. Yeah, it's been deferred, as you said, until uh, the autumn. This is announced only um, a week or, or, or so ago. We have similar legislation making its way through the houses of parliament here in the UK, yeah, there, as far as having to deal with things, and there's so many things going on in so many areas. Um, freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Now, now's the time to stand up for it. And I suppose one well, of if
1: we, if we lose that, then we're then We really have nothing.
0: We have Sorry. nothing. Yeah. No. No. You're right. And I, I suppose I, I, I'm certainly not looking for any credit for this, but I've kind of made a point in recent years of trying to speak out for using my, you know, minimal platform for those whose speech I completely disagree with. You know, people who are very conservative in terms of their politics or maybe even ultra-conservative. People who have had their bank accounts shut down, their PayPal's deleted. And I've genuinely, not not to try and score any virtue signalling points, but I've genuinely stood up and said, this is, it's intolerable. You know, I used to love, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I used to love being in third-level education. And meeting people from, you know, um, b- b- who were representing political parties whose views I w- was completely aghast at sometimes, but loved having the opportunity to debate them and to speak to them and yeah, say, exactly. What, "Yeah,
1: exactly." that's the whole. That's that's that being human. And you know, if we if we just if I just go back to my NLP training, uh, one of the basic principles of of neuro-linguistic programming is that every single person has a completely unique view and model of the world. And that's down to our filtering systems, which are based on our uh, cultures, our upbringing, our experiences, our knowledge, uh, our value systems, our beliefs, decisions that we've made. I mean, we're very complex when we're kind of simple and complex at the same time. But the reality is to have this idea that we're going to shut people's opinions down but, and only have one allowed opinion um, is pretty shocking. I did, I did an interview with um, a senior counsel, Una McGurk. And she actually has had a run in with uh, Minister for Justice, uh, Helen McEntee. And what she revealed in that interview was actually just how hypocritical this actually is, because uh, Helen McEntee actually had written to her and said, I will not be recommending your contract be renewed for a tribunal because you do not agree with the hate speech legislation. So she's actually saying, because you don't agree with me, I am not recommending you.
0: Yeah, that's an idea that's, it's time has come that we're seeing it everywhere. I get a lot of correspondence being, you know, being a radio show for for years. And I'm increasingly getting emails from people, not too many who want to speak out just yet. But they're getting there in terms of their willingness to speak out because they're being asked into... A manager's or a manager's office at work and they're being asked to explain something that they posted. Isn't that extraordinary, Sarah? It is, is
1: extraordinary. It is absolutely extraordinary. It's extraordinary that so many people are going along with this. Um, you know, that that's the most shocking thing. I always knew, of course, there were people who love to be in control. I mean, everyone wants to be in control in one way or another. And that that's the bottom line for everybody. Uh, It's recognizing that reality is you can't control anybody or anything around you. And even if you do, or you think you are, it's for a millisecond. It's not real. The only control we can ever have is to bring that locus within ourselves and to have have control over ourselves. And, you know, people don't want to do that. They don't want to do the work on themselves. This is easy. It's just giving them a, a license to basically, you know, be a dictator in their own, you know, realm. And it makes them feel powerful, but it's all an illusion.
0: You said to me, first time we spoke, you are listening to Sarah Haboubi, by the way, go to thinklocal.ie for information on this week's conference and where you can get tickets. It's sold very, very well. Thinklocal.ie. This is important stuff. These are important times. First time we spoke, I think it was you. I'm sure it was. You said to me, the funny thing about this censorship is it's moving to a place where censors will no longer be needed, Sarah, because people will have been trained to censor themselves
1: yep. oh for, absolutely absolutely that you know that is the scary thing it's the self-censorship uh, I find myself doing it you know if I'm going to write a tweet um, I kind of sometimes delete it and think oh you know that's going to be construed one way or another or and obviously there's a little bit more freedom on Twitter these days but it's again it's is it real uh, because then you can be shadow banned and still the algorithms are working you know for you or against you but yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's human nature to not want to be rejected. It's human nature for me personally, anyway, not to want to get into a battle with people. Um, so unfortunately, we a lot of people are just you know, thinking, well, I can't. And in fact, sometimes you know, when I'm when I meet someone, I am wary. I just think, well, where well, I wonder where they stand. And the minute that there's a crack, <laughs> and I see that they're somehow on my uh, have the same wavelength as me. Um, you know I'm in that's it and I, I kind of think of myself as sometimes unfortunately vomiting information all over people <laughs> yeah. uh, if they show me one kind of glimmer of interest you know or questioning I'm, I'm in and it's you know kind of just waiting to come out but there are times when I can totally recognize the person's not on page and I'm okay with them not being on page but I get the sense that they're not okay with me not being on page with them.
0: You're listening to Sarah Abubi go to thinklocal.ie. This well two days well, starting tomorrow right the 20th of july um mullingar mullingar area right people like um dr peter well, it's McCullough. about
1: it is 30 minutes from mullingar just to be just to give people a little bit more in, um, information i know we, we talked about it's this actually,
0: last time. we talked about this last time didn't we i mean this is it's like a science fiction film <laughs> playing out it's a dystopian world we live in. It's
1: actually it's actually mission impossible. Um but we always uh we always achieve it. We always make it possible.
0: You know what we're talking about dear listener? We're talking about a very articulate, very well educated, very nice woman putting on a conference that's very interesting but having to be very discreet about it in terms of revealing the actual location of the venue un- until <laughs> very late on. It's just it's bonkers, isn't it? Bonkers.
1: That's my word. That's
0: it. It's bonkers. It's bonkers. Dr. Peter McCulloch will be featuring uh, Dr. Matthias Desmet, Sandy Adams, many more. There'll be uh, truth talks, open mic sessions, food stalls, science experiments, food growing workshops for kids. ThinkLocal.ie. It's all happening. You're listening to Sarah Habubi. Now, I, I don't try. One of the things I never do is try to oversell as a, as a presenter, mm. as a broadcaster. I the last time we talked about this and it dawned on me, because it only dawned on me at the last minute, that you were being very nonspecific about the actual location. And I had a holy shit mm. moment, basically. I thought, yeah, yeah, because of interference and, you know, again, this, this is kind of, I don't know, 2000 AD or Blade Runner type stuff, like this level of yeah, dystopia. And yet you just smile your way through it. It makes me... <laughs>
1: Well, you've got to have a sense of humor. I think that's absolutely key. Um, Whenever I feel myself getting a bit down or frustrated or angry, I always think that's how the other side wants me to feel. And I will never give in to that uh, because what would be the point? Um, First of all, it doesn't make me feel any better and it certainly doesn't help me to achieve anything. And at the end of the day, you know what? We've only got one life. Let's just make the most of it.
0: And you've got Iraqi heritage. We talked about this, of course, uh, one, one of the early conversations we had. And not in any way now to be, I don't know, kind of, we have a great saying in Ireland, don't we, to plow more somebody, which is to um, butter yes. them up. I'm not buttering you up, but that stands to you, I think. You know, the Iraqis are a great people and um, a fierce people and a patriotic people. It's got to play well, some uh, part.
1: My, my, Well, actually, I, it's probably in my DNA because... My great grandfather actually fought against the British. Unfortunately, they lost and he died of a broken heart afterwards, but he led uh, a rebellion against the British uh, because he was so patriotic. Um, You know, we have poets, we have, you know, uh, freedom fighters across the board uh, in my family, including my own dad, actually, when he was a student, he demonstrated against the government and got locked up (laughs) for it. So um, yeah, I I think it's in my DNA to just think, no, 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 this is not okay. Um, Freedom, um, you know, it's too important and silence and acquiescence will cost everybody.
0: And it's important to remember because I kind of came into the media just before the second incursion into the Gulf. And we know that Saddam Hussein's government did not possess weapons of mass destruction. We also know that Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with September the 11th. But it doesn't mean that Saddam Hussein wasn't a terribly bad bastard. Um, oh he was awful he was awful he was horrendous and people forget that you know everything became very binary in the independent media you know just because the military industrial complex and the coalition of the willing were terrible and the neocons yes they were and they were wrong to do what they did in Iraq and Afghanistan and elsewhere Libya and elsewhere but it doesn't mean that Saddam wasn't an absolute bastard it doesn't mean that Bashar al-Assad's father wasn't an absolute bastard in Syria he was these things are nuanced but um these are important things to be talking about. These things happen. And can I ask you, Sarah Hububi is on the line. Are you conflicted when when people ask legitimate questions about open door immigration? And I, let me explain why, why I'm asking you, are you conflicted? And I'll shut up and you'll give us, no doubt, an educated answer. But people are asking questions. They're saying local services have been decimated, um, introducing people into our counties, no matter where they come from is causing great hardship for people and it's causing resentment and division. But you better than anybody know, at least better than anybody I've spoken to in recent years, that the intelligence agencies and the militaries of these countries, not Ireland, of course, although Ireland allowed the bastards refuel at Shannon Airport and and gave other material um, support as well, which we could go into. But the Western democracies, so-called democracies, have caused a lot of the migration issues we see in Europe, particularly in Syria, Libya of late, obviously in Africa, and before that Afghanistan and Iraq. So while immigration might be weaponised by governments, you know, to divide and conquer people like you and me, you of course know what, it, what, what happens in countries when the F-16s fly overhead and bomb cities to smithereens and destroy people's lives. People are, are going to leave and they're going to seek a better life do you find yourself a bit conflicted sometimes when you're hearing all this talk about immigration and and those bloody migrants no
1: i no i'm not conflicted at all from my point of view i believe that there are three types of people coming into a country you have genuine refugees from countries where bombs are being dropped and they are fleeing for their lives and absolutely we any country of you know with any standing should look after those people the best they possibly can, uh, with an aim that if they could possibly return to their homes when there's peace and they can go home and they can rebuild their own countries again with knowledge maybe and resources they can gain from here, fantastic. Then there are asylum seekers who are also persecuted um, within their countries for their beliefs or because of their sexuality or their gender, whatever it is, whether that's because it's women who are not allowed to have education, for example, in Afghanistan. Uh, or whether it's gay men, maybe in Iran who are fleeing because they will be murdered for it. Again, they're fleeing for their lives. Those are those are, those categories, absolutely, we should be looking after. And then we should be very sure when those people come in that th- that is what they are. Uh, economic migrants, however, just to have an open door policy for economic migrants is a very different story. Um, how many countries do they have to walk through before they get somewhere? And then they're being offered free accommodation, you know, um, some sort of uh, you know financial help uh, they get you know a PPS number they they suddenly there's just this there seems to be limit an unlimited amount of money that's been willing to be spent on them and i look around at a town where i live i mean we didn't get we didn't have any any help during the good times and then 2008 completely decimated this town we don't even we've had a swimming pool that's been standing here since the 1970s it's well past its sell by date we, have, we had to build a playground on some free land, which is in the most awful place of ta- part of town where there's been drug deals and prostitution rings have been broken up. We're in the second biggest town of the county, and we were not looked after. So, you know, at the end of the day, why would you just throw your doors open, let hundreds of thousands of people in when you don't have the resources? Then, I mean, I don't know what they've been promised. And what we can see are, are adverts that are going out of those countries promising them, you know, large and a house, et cetera, et cetera, So, I mean, if you were an economic migrant, why wouldn't we? If it was going to be that easy, you know, no questions asked. So, no, I'm not conflicted at all. I think, yes, we should help people who on a humanitarian basis. But from an economic perspective, you've got to look after the Irish first.
0: And do you think there's some merit to the argument which has been made by people on this programme going back years, long before COVID, that it is a definitive, a very definite programme an agenda to divide the peoples of populations, divide the peoples, I should say, of countries so that um, other agendas can more easily be seen through to their conclusion. Do you buy into that?
1: I do buy into that completely. I mean, we see it, you know, if you look at Agenda 2030 and we do have Sandy Adams, so I don't know if you've had her on your show Yeah, not,
0: great and if lady not, Sandy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, and, if, and if you had her on, have her on again. Um She's amazing. I mean, it was a video that I watched of her talking, I think, in 2016 at Town Hall. And she just explained very clearly at that stage agenda 21. And that's when I went, oh, my goodness, this is what all of this is about. I hadn't slept from March until July of 2020 properly. Every time I went to bed, I kept thinking, what is going on? This is utter and sheer madness. Like, I, I can't believe, you know, where we are. What, what's really happening? And once you take that 35,000 foot view of what's going on, and you realise there is this ultimate agenda for full control, then of course it's going to be easy to control people if you if you dilute their culture, you know, and their nationality, and you bring so many different cultures in that are very confusing and people start pushing it, you know, they they just keep creating these problems that people are just having to focus on, and to me it is all a big distraction from from the big picture.
0: We're um, we're just about going to run out of time. It's really good of you to drop in as you're running around. Think Local dot is um, not far from Mullingar. Uh, go to the website. Thirty minutes. Thirty it's minutes. Only thirty minutes. Um, many, many impressive and important speakers there. We've mentioned a few. Sandy, Peter McCulloch, Matthias Desmond. And there's lots to do for children. Circus acts. It's a beautiful thing, really, to Drawing be involved.
1: circles, food. Marvellous. Oh, it's going to be amazing. And can I just say that if people um, want to come on the Thursday, uh, there's a 50% offer uh, which will end at midnight tonight. And that is TL17, the number 17. That's so TL17.
0: That's the code they need to put in, tl 17. 17. TL17 is the code which will get you half price uh, between now and midnight. Thinklocal.ie. Well done. Sa- Excuse me, Sarah. My voice has just gone there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh dear. Yeah, voice just died all of a sudden. I was reaching for the water. Well done with that. Good luck with it. And um, we'll speak again, no doubt, in the very near future. Impressive stuff. Thanks for your time.
1: Richie, thanks so
0: much for having me on. Anytime. Sarah Haboobi live on uh, the Richie Allen Show, Tuesday's edition. I must have swallowed something there. Go to thinklocal.ie and get involved. Thanks to Sarah. When I grab myself a drop of ishka, not ishka bah. Let's have the Pasadenas. And I'll grab something to drink there. Get some of Stephen's puchín Maybe. The good stuff. It's 11 minutes. Well, it's 10 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. I'm doing fine now from the Pasadena's on the Richie Allen Radio Show. Broadcasting live from uh, Salford. Super Salford. Yeah, enjoyed listening to Sarah. Really enjoyed speaking with uh, Stephen Murphy and Aidan Killian a little bit later on. Thank you for your messages. Speaking of having to put on events in a very covert way, manner, Wayne says that as far as he understands, David Ike said recently that he will be giving out the venue of his tour dates. So you might book to see David Ike somewhere in Bolton or in Burnley or in Edinburgh. You might book to see David Icke, right? And you will be given the name of the venue 90 minutes before the talk is due to begin or to commence. He says, Wayne alleges that David Icke says, this is the best way to prevent the events being cancelled due to protests. Yeah. Of course, I remember that. I remember back in, I can't remember which year it was, Was it 2015? Was it 2016? David Icke was due to speak inside Manchester United's Old Trafford Football Stadium. Obviously not on the pitch. Uh, He was due to speak in one of the function rooms there. And on the morning of the talk, I was to introduce him and to basically chair a question and answer session after the talk. On the morning of it, um, a local Labour MP managed to convince Manchester United to cancel the, the the talk based on an erroneous allegation, of course, the bare-faced lie that Ike was um, or is anti-Semitic. Nonsense, of course. And um, we saved the day. By we, I mean Paul Ripley, the legendary Paul Ripley, one of the greatest human beings I've ever had the, the pleasure to meet in my life. Um, I got on to Paul and said look we we need to um we need to get a venue i went running around south manchester with no luck whatsoever and paul managed to convince the manager of bowlers exhibition centre which is a big big venue with lots of rooms um on the day to to take the crowd and to host uh, the event paul ripley paul never got any credit for that funnily enough strangely enough and That's another story, maybe for another day. But he did, and um, I suppose it was a sign of the times. I remember the following day speaking to David Icke on the telephone, saying, isn't it astonishing this is where we are now, where somebody can contact a venue, lie through their teeth and say that the man who is scheduled to speak is racist and dangerous and harmful, and the venue with no care or consideration given to the performer, who has spent months advertising and promoting and publicising the event, can just kick him out on the street. Now on the day, righteousness won on the day because we, Paul Ripley, mostly Paul Ripley, with a little sprinkling of the BBG, managed to get another venue. But that was, I suppose, a sign of where things were heading. Wow. I implore you to check out dear listener the film we mentioned earlier on um 32 counties um not starring but I suppose you could say starring uh Aiden Killian the, the comedian the actor the, the 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 promoter and Stephen Murphy the poet and uh, the storyteller fantastic filmed in November 2021 all the links will be on the podcast notes and I will put a I will embed the film on RichieAllen.co.uk a little bit later on in the evening. Thanks again to Sarah Haboubi, thinklocal.ie. That is where you'll find out more about the Think Local conferences. Take my leave of you. Of course, I did say to you yesterday, Monday, I said today, Tuesday, we'll have a phone in. And um, we didn't. We will have a phone in tomorrow. Nothing will get in the way of it believe me. Phone in tomorrow and we've had a couple of things about Rumble I said this yesterday, you were not listening. Those of you who are bombarding me about Rumble were not listening yesterday. I deleted the Rumble channel. The Richie Allen show will never be in vision, ever I don't like it, it's as simple as that had a go at it for a couple of weeks, didn't like it job done, bye bye Speak tomorrow and thanks again for listening. I really appreciate you. Bye now.